Good morning. It's good to be with you again and to uh, share God's words together. I always try and uh, think through what would be helpful, what should we look at when you come just one time. It's easier when you do a series, you work through a book and, and a plan and, and so on. And uh, uh, when you come once, I always try and think through, I, I, I'm reminded of the sons of Issachar who understood the times in which they lived and knew what to do. And, and I sometimes think that way that it's good always to think and rethink uh, about where we're at, where we're at in our culture and, and what we should be doing. Um, we often think, you know, oh, look at what's happening in, in our world, looks what's happening in our culture, and uh, um, w- w- it's easy to lash out, it's easy to complain, it's easy to, you know, sort of give up hope, it's, there's, no, there's no hope in, in, in what's going on, and maybe want to look at it politically or economically or a variety of different ways. And uh, it's interesting because much of the Bible is written in that context, in really difficult situations. We tend to know our situation a little better than, you know, that situation way back then. But uh, it turns out God has a lot to say. I was reading uh, someone who had this quote. I actually don't even know who the who the author of the quote was or, or, or this saying. And he was talking about COVID and, and he was making the point that it, in his from his vantage point, from his mindset, that uh, with the COVID, uh, w- with when COVID came, it really was a pandemic of fear, much more than a pandemic about about the actual uh, uh, disease or sickness and so on. A- and that got me thinking of how fear has really permeated our culture and uh, how it's really become... It's become part of how we describe ourselves and part of what we absolutely at all costs want to protect ourselves from that on the one side there's fear and on the other side we, we play the positive especially in marketing of products of of security of safety that, that we can do things to keep ourselves secure and, and safe and and every product and service out there today somehow contributes to our our security and our safety so we we don't have to be afraid because well, because we're afraid. And, and, and so th- there's this ongoing thing. There's all over. You, you, you know, our colleges and universities, some of them now have safe spaces. That is, if you feel uh, someone's opinion or, or someone's uh, viewpoint on a particular subject is, is unwelcome, you can go to a safe space, however those are defined, to, to protect yourself from that. And I was thinking, I, I studied history in, uh, in, in my undergraduate uh, degree. And, uh, you know, like the causes of the First World War, there was the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand in Sarajevo. That's easy. That happened, and, and we all know that. Opinions on what turned that event into the global First World War that we experienced Well, there's a lot of factors and all those factors have different roles to play. And so there's a lot of debate and opinions. It was nationalism. No, it was the system of treaties that developed and all all sorts of things. And that's actually how you learn is you you get these uh, strong opinions, right or wrong, and and you start to synthesize and work with them. And and many people are are fearful of those things. If it's not their opinion, then it's it's of no value and so on. And so uh, in thinking about fear, it's interesting. You start to go to the Bible and then it commands it. 
which is interesting. We live in a culture that could be described as rather anxious about a lot of things. And yet all through Scripture, Old Testament and New, we have the call to fear the Lord. So maybe we're doing it well. I mean, maybe this is what he wanted, that we should be fretting over everything. We have plans, apparently, that NASA is working on in case an asteroid will come and hit our Earth out of orbit, which, as my understanding is, if it goes out of orbit, we all die anyway. But nonetheless, we're working on a plan, and, and, and it's going to deal with the ask, like things that we can't control, we're worried about, and we can't control them. But nonetheless, we, 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 we work on, on these things. And it's interesting, when you start to think of the fear of the Lord, and we start of thinking of how much people are afraid and anxious and so on, it, it's, it's often, number one, it's often not talked about. I mean, what is the fear of the Lord? And, and, and sometimes we want to think about it more on the lines of, you know, we, we live in a culture that's, that, that appears to be light, if I can say it, real, real, sometimes they're referred to as the snowflake culture, right? They're not, not strong, don't, don't have a lot of, uh, of grit. And what we really need is someone to come and, and speak the fear of God into them. Maybe that's what we need. And maybe we need to yell at them, right? And just, you know, or one day you're going to face the Lord and, and so on and, and scare them, kind of the fire and brimstone. You remember those, that, that, that was a methodology of trying to bring people to God by making people fearful of God and maybe fearful in the afraid sense, that they were so fearful of God that they would come to him, which is interesting because when you get a picture of, for example, God's son coming to earth, Jesus, you don't see him trying to draw people in by making them afraid of him. He, he more loved them in than he did yell at them. Uh, and, and so all that to say is, it, it seems in a, in a culture, we could talk a lot. I start to look up things that we're afraid of and so on, and that just went on and on and on. We, we could talk a lot about afraid and fear and, and that in our culture. But what I want to talk about is what is the fear of the Lord? And in all honesty, until I started studying this more carefully, I wasn't totally sure that, that, I, uh, that, that I could articulate it, at least not in the way that we see Scripture. And so my hope this morning is we're going to do a lot of passages, a few of them we're going to dwell on. Some I'll just read as we, as we work our way through. The topic is very big, the, the fear of the Lord and, and what that is. Um, but, but, but all of that to say is it, it is partly a way to respond to our culture. Our culture lives in fear. And, and I'm not trying to be cruel, but for the unbeliever, rightfully so, right? For the unbeliever who lives in our culture, they, they ought to fear death. They will stand before the Creator, and in that, they will have to answer for their sin. We all will, unless you can get someone to answer for you, right? And that's the hope of the gospel, that the wages of sin is death. That applies to all of us. But for the believer, what is the believer? The believer believer believes that Jesus' death is sufficient— pay for our sin. So we, we answer for our sin or we get someone else to do it. And for the unbeliever, the unbeliever is not choosing to believe in Jesus. And as a result, 
they ought to be afraid. Worldly fear is common all through history. There's always been fear. And you can kind of think back, even if you think of uh, the U.S. enemies over the last, you know, 40, 50 years and whatever. And uh, I mean, it wasn't always North Korea or it wasn't always Afghanistan, although that's been a longstanding thing. And in the 80s, when the Soviets come in and so on, and there's that, but the Soviet Union for a long time, and then for a while there, the Soviet Union, not so much. And, and, and now Russia, maybe more again, and, and, and all these these different peoples that rise and fall, nations rise and fall, and, and, and the fears change, but we always get them, and, and we're always reminded uh, to be fearful. That, that's, that's very common in the culture, and it's not just our culture. It's not just today. We have media, and so we have lots of ways of propagating fear, but fear has always been a part of, uh, of culture. When they, Europe went through the bubonic plague, I mean, everyone had to live in fear of what was mostly unknown, the, the, the effects of the plague and how to get it and how to avoid it and all those types of things. So uh, <clears throat> what I hope to do as we start to look at some passages is get an understanding of what the fear of the Lord is, all of which I'm suggesting is part of the antidote, part of the correction, part of the beauty of the gospel call of the believer into the broken world to correct the fearful culture we're in, if that makes sense. We're going to look at the fear of the Lord to help to understand how the fear that we have in our culture is not healthy, and for the believer, we have something else to focus on. So we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to try and do that. If you've thought about the fear of the Lord or heard of that and so on, what we sometimes hear is, well, that's like a holy reverence for God. Uh, the fear of the Lord, that's the holy reverence and respect. And yeah, that's good. Um, you're going to find that's going to be actually really hard to show biblically. The Bible is going to suggest something quite different. But, but we can kind of appreciate that, the fear of the Lord. It, it just seems that fear is always associated with being afraid. And, and so I'm going to try and separate being afraid and fear as we work our way through. There is more than one type of fear. So I'll give you some illustrations here. You don't need to look these up. We'll just go quickly through a couple of them. First John 4.18. John is writing. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do, John writes, with punishment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So there is fear that we're not supposed to have. Okay? So we're not just talking generally about fear. There is a fear of the Lord, which I want to focus on, but there are fears that we are not supposed to have. There are fears that, that, that we shouldn't have, and John is giving us one here. There is no fear in love. That, 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 is, that is more of a being afraid, being afraid to love in the way God wants to love. That First John 4 passage is all about godly love, and, and so it, it finds that. Here's another fear, just to show you that fear is going to be used a variety of ways, and so we're going to have to be real specific. Another passage probably familiar, James is writing, and he says, talking about demons, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder, or other translations, and tremble. And trembling and shudder is the sort of description of what fear is. And you'll see that as we go along, that trembling will go very, very much hand in hand with fear. That, that is, demons fear God, but they don't respond to him. That they hate him. 
And, and, and so th- that's not the fear that we're trying to, in other words, I want you all to leave the class fearful, but not afraid right? So we got to get the right fear. That's what we're, we're looking here for, the right fear. And so it's not the, the, the fear that keeps us from loving, as John talks about. It's not the fear that demons have with the knowledge of God, but no response to God. That's what James is talking about. If you remember the Christmas story, you remember the Christmas story begins in Luke, not with Jesus, but really the birth of John. And it goes back and tells that story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, another couple in scripture that weren't able to have children. And eventually you'll remember that Zachariah is chosen through the series of lots to go and uh, offer the appropriate sacrifice. It's a real honor for him. And while he's in there, he has this vision and he is then told that his wife, who isn't able to have children, will have a child. And that child ultimately will be John. And if you remember, Zachariah asks a question and at that point God shows shuts his mouth, closes his mouth, and then he doesn't speak again until John is born. So when Zechariah gets this vision, this is part of the response. His response is really a song, a poem or a song. And this is just a piece of the song. It's from Luke chapter one, uh, beginning in verse 69. So this is Zechariah speaking. And, and, and he is so excited because him and his wife had always wanted to have children. They wanted to have children. They'd longed for children. They'd prayed for children. And now all of a sudden in their old age, their words, not mine, in their old age, God had provided. And so he is just rejoicing. He says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That is in David's temple. David didn't build the temple, but in in that Jerusalem capital city where the temple was eventually built, going back to David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us uh, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the land of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him of all our days. That is, Zechariah is praising God, and I'll highlight the line, to enable us to serve him, that is to serve the Lord without fear. Okay, so this is why I need to be really careful when we talk about the fear of the Lord, which is commanded, is not just any old fear. Zechariah praises the Lord, we don't serve him with fear, that is, we're not afraid of him. Okay? So whatever the fear of the Lord is, it's not being afraid of the Lord, which is probably why yelling wouldn't make sense. You know, just to come here and yell at you all, fear the Lord, that's not going to be the right definition. That sounds a lot like be afraid of him because someone's yelling at me, right? And, and, and so that, that's not what the Bible's saying. So what John is saying about love casts out fear, uh, what James is saying about demons fear and tremble uh, uh, before God but don't respond to him, they still rebel against him. What Zechariah is saying in praising God that we can serve God without fear it is all, it's all, not what we want to study, but to recognize that there are fears that we're not to have, and then there's a holy righteous fear that we're trying to pursue. Does that make sense? We're not just talking about fear in general, we're trying to get to the right one, and we'll find that in Mark chapter 4. So, if you have your Bibles, let's start in Mark chapter 4. I have to confess I always smile at this passage. When I uh, went to seminary, 
Um, you begin preaching. I'm trying to remember now. You begin in your second year? You begin in your second year. I think that sounds right. It's a long time ago now. And, uh, and then there are, depending on your program, there's a first preaching class, a second preaching class. And then as you get more advanced, it gets specialized where you have, you know, preaching narrative, which is preaching from the stories of Scripture, or preaching prophecy, which is preaching from the, pro- you know, all sorts of different specialties and so on. So uh, I was in my second semester of preaching, and... Um, I had Dr. Reg Grant, who's been here and spoken from uh, time to time here. And uh, so the way it works, it's a small class when, when you take preaching. And you learn two things. You learn to preach and you learn to evaluate everyone else's sermons. Okay, So a big part of learning how to preach is you're in there with 15 students. You're, you're one of 15. So you've got 14 students who are taking notes in a very specialized way to critique did you preach the sermon the way the Bible laid out the, the message, if that makes sense? So you're preaching for your fellow students, 14 of them, because there's 15 in the class, and, and for your professor, and it's being videotaped, and then you have to go watch it, then you have to evaluate, and then they evaluate all the evaluations and so on and so forth. A- and so often it's a time when people are a little nervous. <clears throat> And, and so, uh, but, but for some not, and different people have different experiences and so on. So you're allowed to bring in your folks if they're nearby and, and, and they would want to come when you're going to preach. You're allowed to bring your pastor or a friend or something if, if that's something you want. And some do, some don't. I mean, I came from Canada. I mean, my folks would have loved to come. That would have been the most expensive sermon they'd ever been to if they would have flown down for that. But, and they're very short. They're like four minutes. So, because um, everything is, is about getting the structure right. So... <clears throat> It's all organized at the beginning of the year. You get a syllabus and you're one of 15 and everything's organized and you go in in certain order and everything's planned. And, and so it's three people. Uh, and so mine was on Tuesday. Okay. One, two, three. I was the third guy on the particular Tuesday. And I was there going to preach this passage, which is why I always smile about it because there's some fear involved in this story. <clears throat> And, and, and so I get there, and one of my friends who's after me, remember there's three in a, in a, in a day, and so I'm the third guy, so the guy who's going to be the first one the next day, he comes in, and he's a nice guy, I've forgotten his name now, he's worked for Campus Crusade, a good guy, great guy, lots of fun, and he comes in, and he brings his wife, and he brings his kids, and a moment later, his pastor comes through the door, and, and I can't remember his name, I'm like, what? why are they all here? Well, they're going to hear me preach. I'm like, wow, you brought him two days early. <laughs> that's, uh, that's faithful. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm preaching today. And I'm like, no, I'm the third guy, and you're after me, and so you're on Thursday. And as it turned out, I'm the third guy, and, he's, and this is all in stone. You can't mess with these things. They don't let you change them and so on. And so he's got all his family there. And so Dr. Grant comes to me, and I said, sure, you can go. I'm ready, but I said, I'll, I'll go Thursday. What does it matter to me? I, I said, my, my folks can't come and so on, so that's fine with me. So uh, thir- Tuesday, he does his sermon and everything. So Thursday, I become number one because I was supposed to be number three from, from Tuesday and so on and so forth. All right, so this is where the story changes because what I didn't realize on Tuesday when I so eagerly said, I'll go Thursday, was that they have a program at Dallas where students can come or future students can come and visit the campus and sit in on classes and kind of discover whether this is a seminary they'd want to attend. It was called Discover Dallas back in my days. So I show up and there's like 40 people in the classroom. (laughs) And I'm like, are these my friends and family? Because I don't know them. But 
but it's just full, like it's just jam-packed, and these rooms are small. If you've ever been in a preaching room at, uh, at DTS, they're small, and so there's people standing in the back and blocking the video camera. You can't block the video camera because you've got to videotape this and so on and so forth. And so huge, huge congregation for this sermon, for this, this thing, all because the other guy brought his family on the wrong day, and I said, sure, I'd switch. And so I had quite a uh, congregation. <clears throat> Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 4. Got to get at least the chapter right, <coughs> or the book. Uh, Mark chapter 4. So Jesus has been teaching, and you'll see this will actually all tie in when we, when we go through this a little bit as to w- what was going on and why it, it's all just sort of surprised me. M- Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching all day. It's really a day in the life of Jesus, and he's teaching through these parables, a- and he's teaching, and the disciples are like, this is amazing. This is so good. I... Uh, I have no idea what he's talking about. And, and then Jesus would come and he would tell his disciples, he would explain his parables. And then he'd teach some more through these parables. And the disciples were all gung-ho until they confessed, we actually have no idea what you're saying. And then he'd take them to the side and kind of explain the parables. Then he's all done. He's very tired. And we pick up the story in Mark, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 35. That day, that's the day after teaching, that day of teaching all day these parables, Uh, When evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. That is the other side of the lake. They're at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along uh, just as he was in the boat. Uh, There were other boats with them, uh, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so uh, so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Okay, so you kind of so Jesus taught all day. He's tired. His disciples, most of them are fishermen, right? Peter and Andrew are their fishermen. James and John are fishermen. Matthew's not. He was a tax collector, right? Judas was not, but most of them are, are fishermen, and and they're fishermen from the Sea of Galilee, right? This is their home lake. They're they're right where they would be most comfortable, right? They born and raised on the Sea of Galilee. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're on the boat. You can just imagine Peter, who was always kind of the outspoken one, telling Jesus, "Hey." You take the cushion, you put your head down, you get some rest. I got this. I'll make sure we get you to the other side, right? I mean, this is something he's good at. It's like asking an accountant to do accounting, right? Asking a bricklayer to lay bricks. This is what they do. They know what they're doing. This is what they're good at. We, we don't need to pray about it. So they didn't. <clears throat> All right, so Jesus is asleep on the cushion. The disciples, now remember, this is huge, uh, this furious squall, they call it, and the waves are breaking over the boat. This is, they're right at the end now. This was their home lake, and they're used to being on boats and fishing in this lake and so on, and now they're going to die on this lake, and and it takes a lot for a fisherman to kind of confess I'm in too deep. Uh, I'm not going to get out of this. But this is where they're at. And so they wake him up and, and they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And so you can just imagine that this is... I mean, Peter's not a preacher, at least not yet, and so that's not what he's good at. But this was what he was good at, and yet he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it without Jesus. And, and, and Jesus had been teaching while well, they had been listening about his parables. They hadn't really been thinking about it. They were parables, if you go back and read Mark chapter 4, about faith, belief in Jesus. And so 
they got very scared. They got very afraid because they were going to die. And they wake him up, and now they've seen him calm the storm. Verse 40, he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? No faith. They're afraid because they have no faith. Our starting point for understanding the fear of God is to understand what Jesus is saying here. The fear of God has nothing to be do has nothing to do with being afraid of drowning. They're afraid of drowning because of the storm. It's that they don't have faith. Their belief in Jesus is weak. And you know, if you've read the Gospels, it kind of builds over time because Jesus does all these amazing things and it's always surprising to them, right? Walking on water, stilling the storm, uh, healing uh, a blind man, uh, raising a lame man, raising someone to life and so on. They've got lots more to experience, but their faith, do you have no faith? There is a tie between uh, being afraid and not having faith. And so the fear of the Lord is going to start, we're going to start with understanding by understanding that it's going to be about us building up our faith. Fearing the Lord is building up our faith. It is, it is grounding our belief. That is, we will fear the Lord when we have faith. We will fear the Lord when we believe uh, in him correctly. Jesus said, Why uh, do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? You understand that the miracle is more terrifying at this point than the fact that they were drowning. Drowning they got, right? I mean, the boat capsizes, they drowned, and that's the end. In this case, now they got a guy who speaks to the storm, and it's silent. The storm is no more, and, and they really are terrified. And so there is a connection between being afraid and having faith, and that's what Jesus is pointing out. I did a little pop quiz on you guys. We taught all day about faith. I went to sleep. I even put my head on the cushion. You guys are fishermen. We're on the Sea of Galilee, your home lake, in probably Peter's boat or someone's boat that they knew, in a boat probably they'd been in before. Who knows? And and, and all you got to do is get me to the other side, and you don't have enough faith to believe. Of course, they weren't expecting the storm, right? I mean, that's that's the whole thing there, but that's what Jesus is pointing out. So uh, I want to begin by showing that there's going to be a tie between being afraid, which again is not the fear of the Lord, and and then uh, uh, having faith. Being afraid and having no faith is what Jesus is talking about. So uh, I would like to show you first that we are called to fear the Lord. Now, we are not called to be afraid of the Lord, but we are going to be called to fear the Lord. I'm going to give you just a little sample. There's lots of passages. As I started to study this, I realized there's a lot more than I realized. But I'll, I'll give you some and a couple of key ones. They're, they're carefully chosen here. Proverbs 9.10 is probably the one that, that, that people build around. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, which clearly says, it clearly doesn't say, be afraid of the Lord and then you'll be wise, right? That's not what it's saying. The fear of the Lord cannot mean somehow to be afraid of him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy, Holy One is understanding. So, so it's a command, fear the Lord. Okay, that, that's what, but, but we've got to sort of, what does that mean? What it 
doesn't mean be afraid of the Lord. Okay, so what does it mean? So we, we begin to see that fearing the Lord is tied now with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Fearing the Lord tied with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Psalm 86, verse 11, teach me your way, Lord, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Give me an un, uh, undivided heart that I might fear your name. One part of a psalm, let me say it again, teach me your way, Lord. So, Lord, you teach me that I can rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Learning more of God or building our faith will build our fear of the Lord. Whatever that is, we haven't quite figured out what it is yet, but whatever it is, that's how it's going to happen, right? Teach me in your way that I can rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I can fear your name. Isaiah 33, verse 6, he will be sure, uh, um, he will be, excuse me, the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. So Isaiah is saying the fear of the Lord is the key to the treasure. What's the treasure? He will be a sure foundation for your times a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Uh, again, there is going to be a connection with what we know about God, what we believe about God, our faith in God, and then this idea of fear. We haven't established yet, but we can see that it's there even from these passages. You, you have it woven into stories. I assume you know the story of Job. My first thought was we'd read the whole thing. Then I thought, no, no, just three verses. So we'll just do three. I'm assuming you'll put the other 40 chapters together in, in your mind. Verse 1, Job 1, one. in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. Okay, so how's Job being described? Blameless and upright. He feared God. It doesn't mean he's afraid of God, right? That's not, he's blameless and upright. Somehow fearing the Lord is what we want to be, right? Job is being presented as a good example. This guy's blameless. He's upright. He feared God and shunned evil. We keep going. You'll remember how Job begins with a conversation up in heaven between God and Satan. We pick up the story. Uh, verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like, like him. He's blameless and upright. It's like God read verse 1. Uh, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replies. And then Satan begins to hatch his evil plan that if he can destroy everything Job has, somehow he will lose the fear of God. All that to say, all I want us to say, Job's a fascinating story, but for our purposes this morning, just want to establish that Job is presented as fearing God in clearly a good light. Does that make sense? It's something that we should be, we would like to be described as upright, blameless, and those who fear God. Wouldn't that, right? We still got to figure out what fearing God is, but I just want to show you in the Bible, it's presented as a, a good thing. Job is a good illustration in, uh, in chapter one as it's being, as it's being presented. 
Here's another one. You remember that uh, the angel will come to Mary, and we talked about Luke chapter 1, which is really about uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth and ultimately having the baby John. Well, Luke chapter, at the end of 1 and then on into 2, is ultimately going to now focus on Mary and, and then Joseph and having the baby Jesus. You remember when Mary is told that she's going to bear the Christ child and she comes to terms with that, she sings. Right? Mary's song, Mary's Magnifica. Uh, uh, and, and so it's this beautiful song. It's right at the end of Luke chapter 1. And in the course of Mary's song, remember, we already looked at kind of Zachariah's song. Uh, this is Mary's song from Luke 1, verse 50. His mercy extends, that is, God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And you can start to see when we say fear, we, we kind of live in a culture where all fear is bad, right? That's why we have medicine, right? And, and so you watch the ads, and if you have this condition, then you should take this medicine. That's what they're advertising. And if you have this circumstance, then you should take this. And then they list all the things that go wrong if you take it, right? And, and, and so you're trying to quell the fear of this. And so if you watch enough shows, you will see some of the symptoms of taking this medicine can be solved with taking this medicine, right? Which will introduce new symptoms you've never had before because we're so afraid of everything, okay? So not all fear is bad. So we got to think about this because this, I mean, it just, it should be bad, shouldn't it? It kind of feels in our culture like all fear is bad. We should get rid of it. But that's not what the Bible is saying. It's not what Mary is saying. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Here's Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of a fear for God, or some translations out of a reverence for God, out of a fear for God. Purify, perfect, out of fearing the Lord. So we have a lot of passages, and I know this is a little scattered as I jump from passage to passage. I'm really just trying to highlight this idea of fear, and I hope it's helping as you're seeing different ways in which <clears throat> Excuse me, it's being used. Paul later, Colossians chapter 3, 22. Uh, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you uh, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and out of fear for the Lord. Is Paul telling slaves to be afraid of God? Is, is that what the passage is saying? It doesn't seem to be saying that. Not, not out of being afraid of the Lord. But with sincerity of heart, in other words, you're supposed to obey, do what you're supposed to do, even if the master is not looking, he says to slaves. And this comes from a sincere heart and reverence or fear of the Lord. That, that the fear of the Lord makes us do what's right. <laughs> the fear of the Lord makes us do what's right. Maybe that's what our culture needs. A little more fear of God. If it makes us do what's right, if it perfects us. Fear of the Lord. If, if that's what the fear does, that's what our culture is missing, isn't it? The fear of the Lord. We still haven't figured out what it is, but we can see that if that's what leads us to perfecting, to obeying, to, to, to being as Christ <coughs> excuse me, has called us to be, that's what we need. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Pastor Chuck 
what was it, this last, was it last fall when he did the series on Ecclesiastes, or is that spring? He did a series on Ecclesiastes recently, okay, whenever the right time was. If you remember how that book ends, there's a whole bunch of, you know, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, and, and, and Solomon, in his infinite wisdom and, and, and wealth and all that, he's, he's struggling with finding meaning and so, and so on. And that book ends in sort of a profound statement. Uh, the very last two verses, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, now all has been heard, Solomon writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands. He couldn't find meaning in money. He couldn't find it in wisdom. He couldn't find it in his education. Solomon developed all that in his wise sayings and all the different things that Solomon had in his wives and everything he tried to do. And and then here's the conclusion. Fear the Lord. Fear God. Keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring uh, every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. All right. One more passage, and I want you to turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 11, because this is important as we start to now put this together. Isaiah chapter 11. And I choose this passage because my guess is you'll know it, and it's beautiful. It's about our Savior. Often we would read a passage like this at Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Watch how fear is used here prophetically about Jesus. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So the, the, the word picture here, or the, the visual image, is, is a, um, a, a plant I- image. The, the, there's a stump, and now a new shoot has come. The stump tree's been cut down. There's a stump left, but a new shoot, a new life, new, new hope in what looked dead. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him this coming shoot. Okay, which ultimately will be Jesus, but notice it's prophetic about the future. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That is, Jesus has a fear of the Lord. That's what Isaiah is saying, that when Jesus comes, he comes with a fear of God. That is, it is not being afraid of dad, if you'll let me, Right? I mean, God the Father, Jesus is the Son. Jesus is not afraid of his Father, but he is called here to fear the Lord. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So read the stories of Jesus. Watch him delight in the fear of the Lord. Okay? So we've got to figure out what this fear is. Can you see what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to trying to figure out what this fear is going to be, but even Jesus has it, and he loves it, right? right? So again, he will, verse uh, 3, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge. Sorry, the end of verse 2, uh, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So not only does he have it, but he loves it. He delights in it, and he will not judge what he has seen with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy and justice and so on. A very important passage to help us to see that Jesus comes with the fear of the Lord and he delights in it. He's absolutely ecstatic about the fear of the Lord. And so it's not about being afraid. And so what we need to do is figure out now what, 
what is it about? If it's not being, being afraid, wh- what is it about? All right. So I'm going to give you three passages where we're going to start to see this come together. Uh, the first one is back in Genesis 28. It's a dream uh, that Jacob has while he's sleeping. It's the perfect time to uh, get to see the beginning of the fear of the Lord. Genesis 28. <coughs> Excuse me. Genesis 28. Now, Harry, you had said you still go to 1230 each day? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what he said. No, no, we'll, we're fine. Everyone's fine. We just got to get through this dream. Uh, 28, Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba. He's running uh, at, at this point and, and uh, running from uh, um, his older brother by maybe minutes or, or hours, uh, Esau, his twin brother, who, who he's now deceived and, and stolen the blessing and so on. He's on his way up north to where mom comes from. Uh, Jacob uh, left Beersheba and set out for Haran, which is where uh, his mother would come from. Uh, when he reached a certain place, he stopped at night uh, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he, he put it uh, under his head and lay down to sleep. So you notice the progress from Old Testament, they started with stones, and by the time you get to Jesus, we're at cushions, okay? So we, we see a real development in Scripture there, from stones to cushions. He had a dream in which uh, a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, okay? So he's seeing a stairway that goes from earth to the heavens and angels going up and down. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Okay, so remember that Abraham is the one who originally gets the call, Genesis chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, and through you, Abraham, and your descendants, all the nations of the world would be blessed. So it begins with Abraham, goes on to Isaac, and now we're talking about Jacob. And so God says, I am the Lord your God, the father of Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So number one, the first thing you need to know about this dream is he's getting the land. Where he's lying, where the rock is, that's going to all be his. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. That doesn't mean dirty. That means plentiful. Okay. The dust of the earth. Don't think, well, he should sweep up. No, no. It's just trying to be that it's going to be a huge, huge people. And, and, and that's, that's very important, especially in their minds. You'll be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So, so far, if you're keeping track, this, this dream is about this blessing and then this blessing and this one and this one and this one's being spelled out. Um, uh, I am uh, with you and will watch over you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. 
He has a dream, which has a staircase, which we're not even going to address at this point. And it's just a list of blessings. You're going to get this land. You're going to get the land north of here and south of here and east of here and west of here. I'm going to be with you. You're going to have descendants that's going to be like dust. So many descendants, such a big and strong nation, all these things. And, and, and Jacob is surely this is the, the gate of heaven. And he's afraid. And it's interesting because this is not that other afraid that we were talking about. This is the fear. He, he fears God. He's not afraid at this point. God has just basically said, if you allow my Canadian paraphrase, I'm going to bless your socks off. R- right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is. I, I'm going to give you the land, all this land, even the land you can't see further north, further south, east and west. I'm going to give all this to you descendants, as many, as much as you can. It's the blessings of the Lord being listed. And, and then, and then he is, he's afraid and says, how awesome is this place? It's none other than the house of God. This is the, the gate of heaven. Now keep that in mind. Keep Jacob's response to that list of blessings because Jeremiah is going to say something very similar. Jeremiah, uh, 32. Jeremiah 32. You'll see because it's all going to now be very, very similar here. Jeremiah 32. Hope for, for Judah, really at this point, Israel is gone. Jeremiah is speaking to Judah in unbelievable sinfulness that they're living in. We pick it up in verse 38. Jeremiah 32, verse 38. They will be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and uh, and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that, when they, uh, so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul fear of the Lord. I want them to fear me. So the way I'm going to accomplish that is I'm going to bless their socks off. And, and, and here's, the, here's the problem. It's a little overwhelming. Jacob got a little overwhelmed in his dream. It, it's the fear of the Lord. Imagine what God has for you. Look back and think what God has done for you. Imagine all that's still in store for you. It begins to see overwhelming. Obviously, it starts with Jesus and salvation, that we could be forgiven, that we don't actually bear the cost of our sins, that Jesus does that, and he clothes us with his righteousness. I mean, that's amazing enough. And so the overwhelming goodness of God, the overwhelming graciousness of God, the overwhelming holiness of God, that, that, that he graciously gives his overwhelming mercy is the fear of God. Keyword there, Overwhelming. It's the fact that God is so good, so great. We're not afraid of him. We fear his gracious blessing. Go one chapter later, uh, Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33, beginning in verse uh, 8. Jeremiah 
I will cleanse them from all their sin that they have committed against me, and I will forgive their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown and joy and praise and honor before all the nations uh, on, on earth and hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe. They'll tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without people and animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are uh, deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, uh, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and bridegroom. The passage goes on. Give thanks to the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. This overwhelming abundance that he blesses us with. That is, our fear of him is the recognition of our unworthiness, right? None of us are worthy of Jesus and worthy of salvation and worthy of forgiveness. We're not worthy of it, but yet he bestows it on us in abundance. Not merely salvation, but the abundance of what was being talked here in the context of Israel and in the New Testament, the fear of the Lord is ultimately the gospel, the good news that, that all that God does for us causes us to respond appropriately to him. Awe-struck wonder. N- not, not afraid, although God is very powerful, but the fear of the Lord the recognition that we don't deserve any of the multiple blessings that he gives. It, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's mentioned over and over. I'll, I'll, I'll do another one uh, for you just to help, help situate. You remember in Exodus, uh, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. You have the 10 plagues. They ultimately, they get to the Red Sea and he divides the sea and the people walk through and then the Pharaoh's army tries to walk through and the sea is closed and now they're free. They, they, they go to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, and, and then God calls Moses to go up. The people are to stay down and, and they literally are going to encounter God. This is where they're going to get the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20, just let me read briefly here, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, they heard the trumpet, and they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. Okay, now notice that. That's, that's not the fear of the Lord, right? They're just scared. The ground is shaking, and, and, and they're hearing something bigger. It's what a lot of people feel if you've ever been in an earthquake or something like that. I mean, this is so big, the ground is shaking. You, you have no control in the situation. The people uh, trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak uh, to us yourself and we will listen but do not have God speak to us or we will die and Moses said to the people do not be afraid God has come to test you so that you will uh, so that the fear of God will be with you so the people were trembling in fear they were afraid and Moses says don't be afraid God has come to test you so that the fear of God would be with you In other words, there is a recognition in God's blessing on how great he is, on how great he is. There's a lot more we could establish, but the fear of the Lord has, is directly tied to 
the blessings of the Lord. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 7. The word of God is the fear of the Lord, for through the word of God, the one who is the fear is made known. That, that is, back to Jesus and the disciples on the boat, he said, why are you so afraid? Did you not have any faith? Well, what did the disciples lack at that point? They didn't know enough about the guy in the boat, right? If they knew better the guy in the boat, you wouldn't wake him up and say, are you going to let us drown? It might have been a game that Jesus wanted to do to show them how they could all breathe underwater, right? I mean, this is Jesus. He can do whatever he wants, right? But, but it's hard for us to think that way. And so what we need is the fear of the Lord. And how do we get that? We study his word. What our culture needs is a fear of God. To be afraid of God? Well, there's judgment coming for those who do not turn and repent. But, But it's not to be afraid of God. He sent his son. He so loved the world that he sent his son. Right? And, and so he's not asking, I want everyone to shake and tremble. Now, he could squish us like a bug, right? I mean, if he wanted to, he could. And probably in one sense, we all have it coming. But that's not what he does. He sends his son. The solution to our sin, I might, if I was God, squish everyone like a bug. If you're going to sin against me, I'll squish you like a bug. That's not what God does. He goes, I'll send my son. He'll pay the price on your behalf. And, and so it is a mindset change to where we learn that the fear of the Lord is learning who he is and what he's done as described in Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 7 again. The word of the Lord, excuse me, the word of God is the fear of the Lord. For through the word of God, the one who is the fear is made known. Through God's word. (laughs) I'll close with a scene from the final book, Revelation chapter 15. The reminder of what is yet to come. So gathered around the throne and notice the place of the fear of the Lord in that gathering. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. When I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number uh, of its name, uh, they held harps given uh, to them by God, and they sang a song of God's servant Moses and to the Lamb. Here's the song. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord Almighty. Just, uh, just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Where are we headed? We're headed to a day when... All people in the presence of God will fear the Lord. That's the end of time when, when we'll all recognize. And so God calls us to fear, which would be the beginning of a transition of a culture like ours that is very afraid and has no fear. Father, we're grateful for what you have done for us. And when we see blessings that you've given, like to Jacob or to Israel in the book of Jeremiah, we're mindful that you've given us so much more than we say thank you for. You've given us so much more than we, than we often realize. You've given us life. You've given us freedom in Christ, forgiveness. But you've given us abundant blessings.
blessings that were even talked about earlier in this class, that these blessings could then in turn be given to others for the sake of your name and for the work of your kingdom in faraway places. And so, Father, we pray that we would consider what is it like to fear you, not to be afraid of you, but to come to the full realization of your abundant blessing and to tremble. We wish that for each one here. We ultimately wish to model that in our world that's lost its way. Help us unto that end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Realm. That was a blessing. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.